was a very good scripture reading, wasn't it? Very well done. Children's story and special music was amazing. Um, Before we um, have our sermon, I did want to share a a few thoughts. Um, One is um, our last lecture down in Coshocton on mental health is on immunity. We've had people continue through the, the series, and we're going to be following up with that with a cooking school and uh, maintain that contact and that, that interest. I would have done the lecture on, on immunity two weeks ago, but I got the flu. <laughs> Imagine that. Okay. So anyway, so now i got to do it this Tuesday night. Um, and I uh, ask you to keep your, your prayers for the, the residents at the prison. I started not full-time yet. I mean, I'm still kind of in training, but I... I got to meet quite a few of them. My connection to the prison is through Zolt, because he was there. And, um, you know, correction officers can't go up and shake people's hands. And, um, and I, uh, I went up and started greeting some of the, the residents there. And someone called me aside, well, you can't shake people's hands. And I said, well, I'm the chaplain. And uh, chaplains have to shake people's hands. So I have permission to shake their hands. Uh, because, you know, you can really welcome a person with a heartfelt handshake and get to know them. But there's 1,800 men there. And, uh, and I just ask for your prayers. I know that some lives are going to change. And for so many of them, they need to change. Because when they get released... We want them to be people who will be successful, you know. Um, but before the sermon, we have uh, a second reading. So Zolt and Heidi, do you want to come up front here? Um, we, we had a little challenge getting Heidi's membership here, so we're going to have to bring her in by profession of faith. Is that correct? And so we're going to read these church vows. So to come in by profession of faith, I'll be reading these vows, and Heidi will... Acknowledge, yes, I believe this. And when we read those vows, we'll be able to bring them both in at the same time. Does that sound like a plan? So we've already had a first reading with Zolt. But now we're going to do the profession of faith. So after I read each item, if you would acknowledge your agreement to that. And this is a good review for all of us. You know, it's a way of recommitting our, our faith in God's word. Do you believe that there are three distinct personalities in the Godhead, namely God the Father, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit? Amen. Do you believe that the Bible is God's inspired word, and it is your desire to make the Bible your creed for all Christian doctrine and manner of living? Amen. Do you believe that Jesus came in our fallen flesh to, one, show us the true nature of the Father, two, to die for our sins, and three, to be our example. Amen. Number four, do you believe that it's the work of the Holy Spirit to lead us to Christ as our personal Savior and to daily impart the life of Jesus to us and in us? Amen. Number five, have you accepted Jesus as your personal Savior? And is it your desire to serve him with your whole life? Number six, do you believe that Jesus is right now interceding for you in the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary? And is it your desire to cooperate with him 
and having sin cleansed out of your life. Number seven, do you believe that God's Ten Commandments are still binding upon the Christian? That it is your desire to keep them by faith? Number eight, is it your desire to keep the Fourth Commandment, the Seventh-day Sabbath, from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday? Number nine, do you believe in the gifts of the Spirit and that every member is to be a functioning part of the body of Christ? Number 10, do you believe that Ellen G. White had received the gift of prophecy and that she served God faithfully as a prophetess in these last days? Number 11, I know you believe it too, don't you? (laughs) You still believe it, yeah. Number 11, do you believe that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is God's remnant church and that he purposed this church to prepare the world for the soon return of Christ? Number 12, do you believe that Jesus is coming soon? And that he will appear visibly with all his angels to redeem his faithful from every generation. Number 13, do you believe that the wages of sin is death? And that every soul is resting in the grave awaiting for either the resurrection of life or the resurrection of damnation. Number 14, do you believe in healthful living and choose to obey God's laws of health? Refraining from such things as alcohol, caffeinated drinks, narcotics, and smoking. Number 15, and you're a nurse, so you... (laughs) Do you believe in baptism by immersion as a public confession that you have given your life to Jesus? And lastly, number 16, do you choose to support God's work with your tithes and offerings and talents? Okay, very good. Well, I need a, a show of hands. This will be the second reading for Zolt. And voting into membership as well, Heidi... Do I have a second? Okay, I have like 50 seconds. <laughs> All in favor, raise your hand. Okay, very good. Any opposed? Okay, none. <laughs> yeah. Pete, put your hands down. <laughs> okay. Well, we have a gift for you for being members of the church. This is a gift for both of you, a devotional book, to share and I pray together, study together, and invite angels to continue to bless your home. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are richly blessed here in Brooklyn to have the two newest members to our church. We thank you, Father, for how you have worked through them already. May they continue to be a rich blessing upon those who are seekers of truth and those who have already received it as we learn to grow together and our preparation for the soon coming of Jesus is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for both. Well, that was a long scripture reading because the Battle of Armageddon is the sixth plague. And uh, before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We know we're on holy ground when we read that word. And, Father, we pray for wisdom, wisdom from above to know your word aright, that we may be best prepared to be used in your service in these last days, not only in the preparation of others, but for ourselves. Father, thank you for your perfect work, the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of all the lovely angels, and, of course, Jesus as our intercessor. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Let's turn to our Bibles to Revelation 16, and let's go back and reread the sixth plague. The reason we're talking about Armageddon is because it's a real battle. It's not a military battle, but it's a real battle that actually didn't start on planet Earth. But it's a battle nonetheless that involves every human being in this world. Now, the popular teaching in the churches today is that the Battle of Armageddon is a military battle in the Middle East. There will be a number of countries that will attack the state of Israel. Most notably, they understand that the kings of the East represent the Chinese. Oh, I am so sorry. I do this about The most popular teaching concerning Armageddon in the churches is that it's a military battle in the Middle East, somewhere in the area of Palestine. Christians have been secretly raptured out of the world, and the people who are left behind, which would be a group of converted Jewish people, are going to kind of fight off the world. The world will be against the state of Israel, and the Chinese are going to cross all the way across China dry up the Euphrates River and come and attack Israel. The Russians will come down from the north. The world will be arrayed against them. And yet God will intervene and give the victory to the Israeli army. That's not really what the Bible's teaching. But it is what's being preached today. And the reason that it matters is because the people who are going to take over our government believe a false doctrine. And they will form their foreign policy based on their belief system. And so you will no likely see harder positions towards China and Russia and different different nations based on a concept they have of prophecy, which isn't even true. And it is a dangerous thing to form foreign policy based on things that aren't true. But more important than that, this is a real battle. And I may take a couple sermons to explain it, because there's so much in these verses. But let's go ahead and begin. And let's go ahead and reread Revelation chapter 16, verses 12 through 16. And I want you... First of all, to consider, is this sixth plague between warring nations on earth or between heaven and earth? That'd be quite a difference, wouldn't it? What if this is about worldly powers against God and that they're really fighting against God by trying? Or is this a battle between just secular nations fighting each other in the the end of time? And the reason that I'm going to suggest to you that that latter part isn't true is because there's been 10,000 wars in our world in 6,000 years anyway. What's the difference? Another, Another war. Why would God allow Earth's history and the conflict between Christ and Satan end on some military battlefield with, with airplanes and tanks and you know what I'm trying to say? Because the war 
isn't a challenge to God's physical power. The war is about God's government. The war is about truth versus error. And what people have to decide in the end of time is not whether they're in favor of the Chinese or the Israelis. What people have to decide between has to do with the commandments of God. This is what's going to determine for them whether they get to heaven or not. It's not your political position. It's your position on whether you recognize the authority of God in your life or not. Or that you recognize the authority of man over you and you follow his traditions as opposed to following God's will. That's the battle. That's the battle that goes on in every human heart, no matter who you are, where you've lived, no matter what time in earth's history you lived. When it comes to the judgment, God's not going to look at your affiliation politically. God's going to look at your heart and see if there's rebellion in there still against him. This battle, this whole conflict isn't about us. We're involved only because we're the prize. The battle's between Christ and Satan. It's between truth and error. Our part in the conflict is to choose which one we're, which side we're going to be on. That's our part. Okay? So as we go through this and read through this, most of the churches are saying this is a war between nations. But I believe, as you'll see, that this battle is really between the world arrayed against God and his commandments and his people. Okay, so let's read this. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared, which most believe is the Chinese. And I saw three unclean what? Spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, and they are the spirits of what? The devils. Working miracles. Working ferociously because the devil knows what? His time is so short that he's going out to the world to deceive every possible person. Right? Let's read on. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and to what? The whole world's involved. Not just the Middle East. To gather them to what kind of battle? Ah, oh, to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Not a battle between nations. But a battle in rebellion against God himself. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together in a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. So as we look at this first item, we have a Euphrates dried up, which has already happened in the past, physically, literally. But we have to understand, is there we talking about a little Euphrates still, or are we to understand it spiritually or symbolically? Something's being dried up. And so we'll get into that in a little bit. But it really is a battle, that great day of God Almighty, which would be what day? Just before the coming of the Lord, the great day of God's wrath isn't today. It's not when the Sunday law passes. But when probation closes and those seven last plagues begin to call, fall, 
Are we nearing the great day of God Almighty? Absolutely. Everything's marshalling to that day. And when you get to the sixth plague, the world thinks, which is on the wrong side, arrayed against God and his commandments, think they have the upper hand. And in this battle of Armageddon, they try to wipe out God's people in one decisive blow, but God intervenes. And the sixth plague and the seventh plague is really about God's deliverance of his people. Do you remember a story in the Bible where God dried up some water and delivered his people? Yeah, right at the Red Sea. Why did he deliver his people from Egypt? Because Pharaoh would not allow them to worship God. And so to free his people to worship him freely, God would deliver them out of slavery. And to deliver them out of slavery, he would bring them down by the Red Sea. And the Egyptians were just about ready to pounce on them. But it became late in the day. And the cloud that was directing God's people to the Red Sea actually now came down on earth and stood between the Egyptians and the, and the Hebrews. And it was towards the end of day, and the Egyptians like, oh, that cloud came down. We can't see the Hebrews on the other side of the cloud, but they have nowhere to go. The Red Sea's over here. The mountains are to the south. They're not going to go across the sub-Sahara desert. They have nowhere to go. We'll get them in the morning. And so why the Egyptians slept and darkness fell, and there was the dark cloud on that side. God was not just the cloud by day, but the fire by night. And so while it was dark on the side of the Egyptians, what was on the other side? Light. And God parts the Red Sea, and during the night, the Hebrews walk across the Red Sea, and the Egyptians didn't even know it. Until it got in the morning... And the cloud lifted. And the Egyptians are going like this with their eyes and they're looking. And they see the last Hebrew step out of the water. Or not the water, but out of this riverbed. Right? Could you imagine that? Three million people have already crossed the Red Sea. And they see the heel kick up of the last Hebrew getting out of the dry land there. And, of course, inside of them is a lot of hate. They lost their firstborn. They lost all their precious stuff. They really want to get these Hebrews back. And so they march right after them. And, of course, we know the story of how God would allow the waters to come back. But God parted some waters. He dried up some waters. You've got to remember this story. God dried up waters to protect his people for their deliverance. So... When we read about the sixth plague and we start thinking about water dried up, when the Euphrates dries up in this plague, are God's people going to be delivered? Yeah, absolutely. And this is just like with the Egyptians. When the, when the sixth plague, the waters dry up, that's towards the end of the power of the evil power trying to destroy God's people. Okay? So... Is, does the Bible in Revelation talk about this being a war between heaven and earth? So what we read under the sixth plague is the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet 
are gathering the whole world to a battle. Okay? Do we have another picture of that in Revelation? And is it between heaven and earth? Let's read it. It's in Revelation 19. And I'll begin with verse 11 and 14 and 19. These will be the three verses we'll look in Revelation 19. I encourage you to read 11 through 20 there. But in Revelation 19, verse 11, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he, Jesus, that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven, who would that be? That would be the angels. Followed him, Jesus, upon white horses. Okay? But notice what 19 says. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered what? Together. That sounds like the battle of Armageddon. Gathering the people. Gathered them together to do what? To make war against who? Against Christ that sat on the horse and against his army. You see that? So in the context of the battle of Armageddon, which isn't between warring nations, the earth's history is not going to end on battlefields here in the world. There's been too many of them. It's a battle between this rebellious world and her maker. And everyone's going to have to pick a side on this battle. And so Christ is symbolically shown as coming back on a white horse. And he is coming back with all these angels. And they're symbolically shown as coming back on white horses. And it's not that the world's waiting, the dragon beast and a false prophet to start shooting ICBMs towards heaven. No, the battle of Armageddon is before Jesus gets here. So how does the dragon, the beast, and a false prophet fight against Jesus, who's sitting on the white horse, coming with all the angels? How does he make war against Jesus before Jesus gets here? Any thoughts? By attacking the believers of Jesus, by attacking those who faithfully follow Jesus wherever he goes. Satan's only opportunity is to try to take this world over before Jesus gets here. And the only way to do that is to eradicate all who have faith in Jesus. See, that's the battle, my friends. And that has always been the big battle. You know what the devil tries to do? He tries to get us to fight amongst ourselves. He tries to get nations to fight amongst themselves. Blaming people. But the reality is all our problems go back to Go back to Lucifer, go back to sin, go back to rebellion. That's what causes all the problems in the world. And so the devil's just trying to cause nation against nation, and conflict here, conflict there, conflict in families, conflict in communities, conflict between religions, and all kinds of conflict. But in reality, all this conflict has its origin in a conflict that never started on earth. It started in heaven. Now, so we read about how the dragon, the beast, and a false prophet, they're going to try to get the whole world gathered to the battle of Armageddon to try to win that battle by getting rid of God's people. But what happens in that battle? Let's read about it. It's in Revelation chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. 
What happens to all these soldiers that Lucifer has gathered together for that day? What happens as Jesus, who's coming back with all these angels as he gets closer and closer, how does Lucifer's army react to all this? Wow. They think for a moment they're going to win when Armageddon begins. But by the time you get to the war of Armageddon, look at the picture here. Verse 14. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. What event am I talking about? Second coming of Christ, right? And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Could you imagine that kind of destruction on earth? And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man, what did they do? Yeah, they didn't hold together as an army. They hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who's able to stand? Wow. Wow. So chronologically, from today, not long from now, there's going to be a national Sunday law. And those laws will become more stringent, and God, the penalty against God's commandment-keeping people will become stronger. There'll come a time we can't buy and sell. There'll come a time when there'll be a death decree. But there comes a time when probation closes, and the plagues begin to fall upon all who receive the mark of the beast, Because they refuse to receive the seal of God. And as those plagues fall on those who think they're on the right side, they become angrier. They're going to want to blame God's people for all their troubles. And it's like a volcano about ready to go off. It's just getting hotter and it's boiling. And it's just going to erupt by the time you get to Armageddon and they set a date. And then they'll take things into their hands and they think they'll have a victory in one night. In one night, they think they're going to win. But this is exactly when God intervenes and rescues his people. And this is what happens to their army. They were all gathered. And now what are they doing? They're scattering. Every man for himself. Hiding in the dens of the rocks from who? God's people? From Christ himself. Because the one they're really battling against isn't us. We're not the problem. The problem is that they haven't given their heart to Christ to do all that he asked them to do. That's the problem. That has always been the problem. Isn't that the problem that happened to Lucifer? He got to a point that he refused to submit to the authority of Jesus. That's the problem. And that will always be a problem for a created being in their relationship with their creator. God gave us life. God's a king. God has rules. You don't want to keep the rules. That's a problem. What are you going to do? You see? And so God allowed this experiment to take place on planet Earth to see how does that go? What happens to a world when its inhabitants choose Not to follow God's rules. Look at it. Look at our world. It's only getting worse. And it would be worse than it is today, except that God's holding back the four winds of strife. It'd be much worse than this. 
if it wasn't for God's mercy. We're way worse than we know. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit working on our hearts, we do need to pray that God will allow us to see how sinful sin is so that we would hate it and love righteousness. That's very important for us to pray that kind of prayer. But at this point, we can see, according to the Bible, and in the book of Revelation, that's what you want to do when you study these things. You start in Revelation, and you continue to stay in Revelation to see how God explains Revelation within itself. And then you can go to verses on the outside, right? But most all that your needs going to be inside this book. And as we've studied this, we realize that this, this isn't a battle between warring nations. It's between heaven and earth. Now, there's something else very interesting. If you turn back to Revelation chapter 16, and that is the word Armageddon. Armageddon, R, there are two kind of words here, Armageddon. R means, H-A-R is mountain. And Megiddo comes from a root moed, which means congregation. Does that ring a bell? Mount of the congregation? Okay. Let's look at a, a passage here. This is in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. It's a description of the fall of Lucifer. In the same way that there's a Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's like a false trinity. I hate using the word that way, but anyway, a dragon, a beast, and a false prophet. In the same way as there is a Mount Zion, which represents salvation, there's the Mount of Congregation. That's a counterfeit. Does that make sense? So let's find. This is the only time this word's used again in the Bible. Is this verse. Mount of the congregation. Verse 12, Isaiah 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit upon the mount of the congregation, Armageddon. Or Ar-Moed. In the sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. When did Lucifer first want to sit in the mount of the congregation and be like God. Where did that happen? It happened in heaven. Did it happen before the creation of our world or after? Before. Before the creation of our world, Lucifer already wanted to be worshipped as God and sit in the mount of the congregation. Knowing that, and knowing that the word Armageddon comes from this same root or word... What then does Armageddon represent, really? It represents Lucifer's last final attempt before the second coming to be what? To be worshipped as God. You can see where the, the, the battle of Armageddon is meaningless if it's just a military battle between nations. It doesn't mean anything. But if the battle of Armageddon 
And Armageddon comes from Mount of the Assembly where Lucifer's rebellion started. Where he wanted to sit in the Mount of the Congregation, the Mount of the Assembly, and sit there as if he's God. Doesn't it make sense that that's exactly how this controversy is going to end? That he's going to want to have a place where the only people left on this earth are people who follow him. And to have that, he has to get rid of everybody else that doesn't follow. You see? You see, this is why he's been working for centuries. For centuries for a Sunday law. Through the Catholic Church, the Protestant churches, the world itself, spiritualism. He's been working for a long time. For a final battle that he thinks is his best opportunity. And so he's got to get those within the dragon to think a certain way that puts him in connection with those in the beast and those within the false prophet to agree on at least certain things that binds them together that would allow them to gather themselves together to agree to get rid of God's people. Well, that's quite a task. I mean, how would you choose to accomplish that? But I'm telling you, Lucifer's a pretty smart guy. Yes? Second Peter. Second Peter chapter three, ten through twelve. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And if I remember right, it's a great verse. I appreciate you sharing that. I believe that James White saw that as almost like there's two lake of fires in a way. That at the end of the thousand years, the lake, the lake of fire consumes the whole earth and there's no... But he did see as if in the end, which the seven last plagues would produce, a kind of lake of fire that things would be dissolved and things will be destroyed. And this, it's a great verse there because when we talk about Armageddon, this isn't like, oh, he thinks Armageddon's this and he thinks it's this. No, my friends. Everything's moving toward this battle. And because this battle's real, what kind of people do we need to be so we're not sleeping? Because imagine the difference here. If I think, as a Christian, I'm just going to be secretly raptured out of the world, and the Chinese are going to invade the Israelis, and I'm not even going to be here, well, it doesn't matter to me. You can see where the battle of Armageddon would mean absolutely nothing to me. Because I wouldn't be here anyway. But what if the battle of Armageddon is this world in re- such rebellion against its maker. Then what kind of person do I need to be? When the whole world's arrayed like that, am I still going to take a stand for God even if I can't buy and sell? See, that's the issue. Will a person still follow God even if he loses all his rights and all his belongings? And that's ultimately what the book of Job's about. And that's what God's waiting for. 
He's really not waiting for us to have 20 million more Seventh-day Adventists. He's looking for a group of people who will take a stand like Job. I'm waiting for a group of people, even though they would lose everything they have, they still say, I will trust in him. Isn't that what he's waiting for? And that's really what this battle's all about. This whole controversy between Christ and Satan isn't about military. It's not about physical strength. It's about our fidelity to God. That's all that's going to matter in the judgment. Is whether we believe in God and follow God and love God and we show our love to God by obeying his will. That's what this battle's about. So the battle started actually based on the name Armageddon. The battle really on the Mount of Congregation actually takes our mind before the creation of our own world where the battle actually started in heaven. But it's going to be finished here. Wow. That really puts planet Earth on a map, doesn't it? The controversy starts in heaven, but ends on planet Earth, and you and I are the last generation to make our decision. A pretty important generation, aren't you? Wow, what a privilege. You know, when you'd be able to give your testimony to these unfallen worlds throughout eternity, you could say, I was there. Not when it started, but when it ended. What a time that was. Wow. What a privilege. And that's what it says in Revelation chapter 12, verses 7, 8, and 17. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon fought and his angels prevailed not. Neither was there place any more in heaven. So the war that started in heaven, was it military? Was Lucifer trying to get in an arm wrestling match with God? Huh? There was a war, but what kind of war? And when people talk about the Battle of Armageddon in our day, they keep thinking military. But you can have battles that aren't military. A battle of words, a battle of ideas. Isn't that right? And that's what this battle is. It's a battle of ideas. It's a battle about the commandments of God versus the traditions of men. That's what the battle's over. Your allegiance to your creator or to the created. And the battle rages on. The devil even knows what this war is about. Revelation 12, 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, went to make war with who? The remnant of her seed, which do what? That's exactly what the war's over. It tells you what the war's over. You don't have to guess what the war's over. Even the devil knows what the war's over. He's the one who created the conflict. And he's deceived all these churches to think that the battle's over something else. Right? That it's military and things like that. I'm going to read you a statement here. This is from uh, Manuscript 175, pay, or year 1899. Four mighty angels hold back the powers of this earth till the servants of God are sealed in their foreheads. The nations of the world are eager for conflict. It's in us. It's in our fallen nature. We like conflict. But they are held in check by the angels. When this restraining power is removed, there will come a time of trouble and anguish. All who have not the spirit of truth will unite under the leadership of satanic agencies. But they are to be kept under control 
till the time shall come for the great battle of Armageddon. You see what's happening here? (laughs) This isn't about a military battle. This is a battle which God realizes what Satan's doing. God knows what Satan's doing. Satan is marshalling the world in such a direction that they will hate those who keep the commandments of God. He knows what he's doing. And the, the angels know this. And so they hold in check these influences. But the battle's coming. And God holds, the angels hold it in check so that we could still have an opportunity to finish the gospel work, right? But once that work is done, and every human being has made his decision for or against the seal of God, there's no reason to hold back the four winds. And when he lets go of those four winds, we're quickly marshalling towards Armageddon. You see, friends, we're moving that direction right now but at a slower pace. At some point, this battle had to take place, and it's not military. At some point, the battle between truth and error comes to an end. Armageddon is that battle. And God holds back the four winds to give us time not to sin longer, but to overcome and to prepare people for the greatest, most important decision they will ever have to make in their life. What are you going to do with Jesus? And what are you going to do with those commandments that he wrote with his own finger on two tables of stone? Is he your Lord, your King? Is he your God? And if he is, have him write those commandments on your heart. But if you want to be your own God, come up with your own rules. You see, that's the decision everybody's making. And the devil's going to try to deceive people on the wrong side. We know that. That's his, his attack, his force and so forth. But he holds back these four winds until everyone's made a decision. But once he makes a decision, the first plague falls. And then the second. And then the third. And Armageddon isn't until, which one? Number six. Do you know what our world would look like after the first five? It'd be devastating. And this is why the devil knows number six coming. The devil knows what the battle is. He started the conflict. He's trying to avoid this conflict. He doesn't have a choice. Because still on the earth, there's a group called the 144,000. And he can't take their lives because God won't permit it. Because it would do no good for them to be martyrs because every case has been decided. But it doesn't mean he still is not going to try. And next sermon, we're going to get into what he's going to do. He is, he's going to be in such a position... That even after everything that happens before the close, threatening people can't buy and sell and things like that, there's still a people on the planet who are God's friends. And that's the beautiful thing. That there will be God's friends still here. 
and the plagues fall, and the devil knows that once that first plague falls, he doesn't have much time. And I'm not, I don't, I hate to ask the question, what would you do if you, you were in Satan's shoes? Because that's a bad question. But you can think in terms that he has to do something, doesn't he? And so these three unclean spirits like frogs go out to deceive the whole world. It's the only way he can get it done. It's his last dish effort. And this is his last effort to try to be God in this world. And uh, so next sermon, a couple Sabbaths from now, we'll continue. We just started, we just got into Armageddon. Right? We're just looking at what it represents. And we'll get into more of the, the details next time. Before we have our closing prayer, but let me, I shouldn't end with that. God does deliver his people at this time. But you can be part of that. You imagine giving a testimony and say, I was there. And I witnessed God delivering us from the whole world against us. What a testimony. And once you went to this one phone world and shared it 10,000 times, they're going to say, tell me again. Tell me again. So, friends, every trial we have is an opportunity for God to deliver us and show us his power. It's not to discourage us. It's to encourage us that God actually is with us, and he'll do marvelous things for his people.